is uh, number 14 in this series, of, which is entitled, Which Mind? Uh, it is, I don't know if I'd call it a difficult subject, but, uh, but I believe it covers the entire Bible. I believe everything that every story or event you read in here is associated with the fact that the people who were involved had a mind and you can see how that God chose the words that he did for this complete book that we have. And we see how that he chose specific events that uh, we can recognize and recognize that the mind had some uh, say-so in that matter. And uh, even this morning, uh, as we speak, uh, each of us have that ability to think and uh, the issue here at hand, as we've discussed over the last few weeks, or at least pointed out, was the fact that there are really two spirit beings that are interested in our mind, and one of them is Satan, and of course the other is the Lord himself. And uh, the Lord doesn't force anything. Satan, he's deceitful. Uh, he has control of many people's minds. And the only way that we can enjoy the mind that we have in Christ Jesus is the fact that we have a new man and we are a new creation. And we have the ability and strength and power made available to us to do something that at one time in our life we weren't able to do. So uh, keeping that in mind, we're looking at a, a lot of different uh, subjects that kind of go from week to week. And in my sake, it, uh, or from my perspective, uh, it's called to my attention, and then I start moving in a different direction or whatever in this study. So uh, without rambling on here, let's, uh, let's take a look at a verse. I'm going to read out of Deuteronomy 32, and as many times as we've read out of Deuteronomy over the last six months or so, this is not one of, one of the places that we've read before. But I do want to call it to your attention because uh, in last week's study, we uh, began to talk about the fact of, uh, that is associated with faith, and we looked at some a few passages of scripture that dealt with Gentiles during the time of Christ when he worked, walked upon this earth, and he had introduced the kingdom of heaven to the nation of Israel. We see that there are a few Gentiles whom he came across that came across his path, and he healed them of something. Uh, or a friend of theirs, or whatever. And uh, and he makes the statement that he had, in one case, speaking to a centurion, a soldier, he said, I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. And so, uh, in a, two or three, four, five, six occasions, he does find someone that he speaks of, who happens to be a Gentile, as having great faith, and then we turn around just the opposite of that and we look at the places where he speaks to those who have no faith. And they happen to be his own children, and in most cases, his own disciples. And if you say, if you look at that and say, well, if they have little or no faith, then what about me? I mean, they were right there in the middle of what was going on. They witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. And he was still able to say that. So anyway, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, it's a, we have a psalm that, from Moses. That's P-S-A-L-M, psalm, a psalm. Uh, and 
And in this, it's kind of uh, sad when you read this because we find out how Israel failed in the wilderness. But I'm just going to read one verse, 32:20. And he said, I will hide my face from them, speaking of Israel. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward, froward generation, children in whom is no faith. So that is a sad thing to hear. And it would be a sad thing to hear concerning ourselves, even. And it, this happens to be, I believe, one of the few places in Scripture, in the, at least in the Septuagint version, that we have the word al-ig-ap-pistestas. That's a compound Greek word that's made up of two words. And I don't know, you may be familiar with the last half of that, pistos, which is uh, faith are to believe. It's the word that we will find many times in the New Testament. And it's simply the word faith. But the first portion of that is uh, oliga, which means little or small amount. A small, so it's a small amount of faith. And that's, that's the word we're reading here in Greek, Septuagint version. And it's one of, uh, it, it goes along with five verses that we find in the New Testament. So last week we began to look at one of the events there that that word is uh, used. But uh, let me call to your attention uh, a few other places that it's used. In John chapter 14, verse 27, it's, it's interesting. It's only used five times in the scriptures. Five times, uh, not counting the one we just read in Deuteronomy. I think there's a couple in the Old Testament. And uh, in this particular one, excuse me, taking a moment to get there, is in uh, John chapter 14 and verse 27. And we might read a little bit of context with this. Uh, Now you can blame uh, Mike and Diane for my slow... uh, progress here finding these scriptures because I'm using a Bible they gave me. And I think Mike did something to the pages. It makes it really hard to open the pages. So uh, I wouldn't put it past it. Okay, that's a joke. Uh, let's read. Um, let me get a little bit of context here. In chapter 14, and I said verse 40. What did I say? 27. Verse 27. Well, let's read it and then I'll back up. Uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the word afraid here is this word. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at a, the wrong word here. This, this, is a, this is also part of our study today. This has to do with fear. We're going to, if, if you look through the scriptures, uh, the many times it speaks about fear, it is the word phobia, phobia, where we get the word phobia. So we know what a phobia is. But this is a word that is used only five times. And I'm mixing it up. We're a little bit early on this one. Uh, but we'll see this in a moment when we read uh, the event in Matthew chapter 8. I apologize for that. But at any rate, this word that I mentioned to begin with is uh, a little faith, which occurs... Four times, five times. Okay, I'm sorry. This this word occurs five times in Scripture. This compound word, and so we're going to look at 
that's five times, but it's four occasions. At, at one point, one of them, we have the account of Matthew and also Luke with using the same word. So we'll begin this morning by turning to Matthew chapter 6 and beginning in verse 19. And if this sounds like a Sunday school class that you might remember from old, uh, generally I think of most of the things we read in the Gospels, I remember those from as a child going through Sunday school class. Those were the stories that we got. But I believe they're far deeper than what I realized they were when I was much younger. And so in chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 19. Uh, this is the part of the Sermon on the Mount. We discussed that a little bit last week. We read a, a little bit of this and we had to stop. So I'm going to read it completely. Uh, uh, verse Starting with verse 19 and reading through to 34. So this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So I want to be really careful here. We want to think dispensationally when we read this. And we know this was to the nation of Israel. The message is, uh, it's, this is the uh, gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom that was going to be offered to the nation of Israel. And so this passage of scripture generally is taken amongst believers today, Christians all over. Um, that this was written directly to us and these are our marching orders. And I'm not going to get into why they're not and, and so forth. But uh, we do just want to distinguish the fact that there, we're going to see a lot of things here that certainly can apply to us, principles that apply to us. But this specifically was to uh, was the Lord himself speaking to and gathering many disciples. And he, as a result of some of the things he said here and the things that he did, obviously, from his ministry, many people followed him. But you'll find as you get further into the Gospels, as time goes on, they begin to leave him. He begins to speak to them in words that they don't want to hear. And uh, they want the easy route, so to speak. And he starts talking about things are going to be tough. And many of them left him. So that word disciple at one time meant quite a few people. And then toward when you get down to, to the time of the cross, uh, essentially there's only a few, a handful. Uh, so anyway, he's talking about treasures. Now, my life has been such that when I began to work, and especially when I uh, got married and had a family, I definitely was concerned about storing up things for my future. And now that I'm retired and realize I didn't make as many wise decisions as I could have, I could have been a lot better off. But that's here nor there because... I don't think the Lord wants that to be that way. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. And so here we have these verses that uh, may not necessarily sound like they're something that we... Um, I'm, I'm going to turn over to Proverbs while I'm speaking here. Proverbs chapter, chapter 6. Uh, you know, this might sound a little contrary to uh, some of the things we would think in our mind. You know, I carefully try to save money through the years and invest it and so forth. And uh, and this makes it sound like you shouldn't be doing that. And there's a reason for that. We'll, look, we'll talk about that in a moment. But in Proverbs chapter 6, I'm sure 
with this verse, beginning in verse 6. He says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. And gathereth her food in the, uh, the, the harvest. So here, the Solomon, I believe this is Solomon at this point. I don't think it's been turned over from David yet. But uh, he, he looks back to the little tiny ant. And, uh, you know, to me, sometimes they're pests. I have to get rid of them. But uh, he, he says, think about them. They don't think about the things that we think about. Everything is provided by them. So that's a good start to this portion that we're going to read here in Matthew. That here in this message to uh the Lord is speaking directly to his disciples. Uh, that's not to say that there aren't others there in the background listening to what's going on. But he's got a long dissertation here. And we're getting toward the end of it in this portion of it. He says, uh, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So here we begin to connect this with the mind. And anytime we see the word heart, it's, it's just another... Uh, usage of figure of speech, uh, bringing up the mind, which we would associate with the brain. And here's the heart. It's more of the affectionate side of our mind, shall we say. And so uh, this definitely has to do with the things we're talking about here. As almost any scripture ta- is really talking about what you're digesting in your mind. He says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So now he's talking about things that come from the heart, which is associated with our mind. He's talking about light and darkness. He's talking about good and evil. And uh, and he's and it's very important because um, now these people would have a total different mind than we would after being the way they are raised under the law and so forth. So we may not connect in the same way that that he's going to refer to here. But he says, "No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, hate the one, and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God, God, and riches." And I don't have to read know that the book of Matthew is about the Sermon on the Mount when I read of some similar scriptures that are associated with my hope and call and understand this certainly would in a, the very principle of this applies to me particularly when it comes to God and riches and you can go to First Timothy chapter 6 and read some of the things there that the Lord has to say about that so certainly these, these there are many things that carry over from this message uh, that he gives these people that uh, that in principle apply to us. And uh, there's a lot of little verses we could be reading here along the way. In fact, I'm going to read a couple. Uh, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 4, 5 because this the day is coming here, our day of reckoning when we're going to be looking at this idea of the mind in Paul's epistles. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll back up a few verses. Uh, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let a man so account of us, this is 1 Corinthians 4, 
uh, verse 1, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries, the secrets of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Well, so when we think about the word faith and faithful, this is associated with our mind. I mean, when we have faith, in some means it's connected with our mind that we think through those things that are associated with faith and so forth. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be honest with you are man's judgment, yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not thereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Uh, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, till the return of the Lord, those who expected to see him, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. So without going into a long dissertation here on this, here we see some things that have to do with light and darkness. And there's, you use, uh, there's a figure of speech in, in its connection with the mind. Also over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read these things. And we'll be getting, getting there in a few weeks when we get into this a little bit more closely. Chapter 4, beginning in verse th- 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, them that are perishing, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So now we're referring to the devil as the God of this world. And he has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here we see... The difference between light and darkness when it comes to the control of the mind. And it is clear here that to those who are lost, the God of this world has blinded their minds. If you begin to read all of these things we're talking about here, you might start thinking in your mind, well, what chance does anybody ever have? How do you even become a believer if this guy is going to control your mind? That's why we read in Romans chapter 1, Paul, what did he say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It takes the power of God into salvation, I believe. It takes the power, the absolute power of God to save a person. I mean, it was not just a passing thought, hey, I heard something and now I'm a Christian. But it literally takes... And there's... There is the issue of uh, light and darkness in, in, in every, everything in that manner. So uh, these are things I'm just trying to keep in mind that what we're reading over here in Matthew, in one way or another, in some form or another, has an association with the mind. And so let's read on. Back in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now he's telling them not even to worry about it. Okay, this is dispensational. 
The reason the Lord is giving this list of things is because this was about to happen to these people. It was going to become real during the Acts period, as well as during this time that's being spoken. But shortly, the Lord who is speaking here is going to hang on a cross and he's going to die and he's going to be resurrected. And at that point, something new is going to happen and that he's going to send his comforter. Uh, didn't we just read that in John? I don't know, I'm ahead of myself. But there was a, a he's going to spit, send the Holy Spirit or the, uh, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit for these people. So these things that he speaks of here is really going to become real in, in the book of Acts. As well as the fact, and I believe this is a true statement, it's been so long since I've looked at it, is that the year that the Lord died, and that year of Pentecost, was the year of the Jubilee. And you know at the end of the, end of the Jubilee is when they, um, or I should say the beginning of the Jubilee, uh, is when the land was passed out and, and uh, redistributed and so forth. And, and people would have to sell everything they had. And so these things were about to take place. It was going to be real. Whether we recognize that or not, these people went through it. We think a little about that in our daily life and the world we're living in. Although now I think we're waking up a little bit because we have this great pandemic that could destroy the world financially. And i got to say that most of us depend upon money for our lives and for our satisfaction and so forth. And we may be surprised in being tested who knows if this is the Lord's timing and so forth as to what this, how this may affect the world. But uh, this is, these are the words of the Lord because these things were about ready to happen. Just around the corner here. So verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit and to his stature. Now here, I'm not sure the word stature is well put because what he's talking about is adding, this makes it sound like he's adding some uh, inches to your height. But the context is to speak about uh, he's going to, he, he can't add another day to your life because that's what we're talking about in verse 25 and 26. He's talking about our daily needs and so forth. And he says, Why take ye thought for raiment Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye? O ye of little faith. When I read that and stare at these words, this thing is pointing right back at me. Oh me, oh Barney, you're of little faith. And the Lord is talking about something that was going to be very necessary in these people's lives. And we've got three more of these to deal with. And so here, and if you look, notice Bollinger's notes, this first time he uses this word, little faith, and this is that word I gave you from the beginning. This is the first of four times, actually five times, he uses this word. And this time, 
What does it have to do with? It has to do with the cares or cares. Be careful, he says. In fact, if you look at verse 25, what did he say? Uh, let me find it here. Take no thought for your life. Take, okay, take no thought. Here it is. Don't be anxious. The word thought here is anxious. It's the same word we read over in Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing. So the word thought here, which we normally associate with the mind, it's associated with faith, really, here. He says, take no concern, no anxiety for your life. Verse 27. Which of you by taking thought with your anxiety, your, your, the cares of your, of your life and so forth. He uses that same word. Verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? So he gives us several examples that are associated with this. Now in verse 30 he says, O ye of little faith. He says, uh, Wherefore if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe ye thee, O ye of little faith? And uh, I guess it's verse 31. Verse 31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What ye shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? So there's a lot of things that we need every day of our life. We think about every day of our life. And he's telling these people, You need to trust in me. And I have to say the same thing back at each of us. We need to trust in Him and not have little faith, but have big faith. Big faith that says, okay, I'll let you provide for me. One of our problems is I think we want to have control of that aspect of our life because it goes deeper than just a need. It, if we begin to, I don't want to use the word covet, but we do. There are a lot of things that we want and that that's part of what we're dealing with here. Uh, so then verse 32, For all, all these things do the Gentiles seek. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. There's the answer to everything. That we, He knows. He knows exactly what we need. And we forget that. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So this definitely is dispensational in that respect. These things that were written to them apply to them. And it's not that there's not a principle here that, that we will see in our own teaching that it, that's given to us, but um, certainly we have the same principle. Take therefore no thought. Here we go again. Here's the, the fifth time that he uses this word. Is that right? Yeah, number five. No thought. No anxiety. And so... Uh, Along with us, I'm looking here at my notes. Let's read this verse. Matthew 13.22 Matthew 13.22 You remember that the Lord gave a parable about the sower and how the seed was sown. Well, without going into that, let's look at verse 22. I'll take it right out of the context. Yet hath he not root in himself. I've got to read the verse before. But he that received the seed into stony, the stony place, the same as he that heareth the word, and Anon immediately with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but in, but endureth for a while. 
Uh, okay, it's going tribulation, persecution. Now, okay, verse 22. I should have read verse 22 without the context. Because he goes into this particular uh, one of the seeds that were sown. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care, the anxiety, here's our word, of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becometh unfruitful. I've got to re-enunciate that. Choke the word. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word. This is exactly what we're talking about here when it comes to our mind. That we want to have our mind on things above and not on things of this earth. We could just put it in that, those very same words. That's what we read here. And what's the problem we have? This isn't a problem that I, I'm uh, turning myself over to Satan and he's going to take, take charge of. But what we read here is that the things that we decide can choke the Word. And so, uh, this is very important, along with the fact that we're dealing with this idea of faith, our faithfulness, or what we actually believe, how that is part of our responsibility. So we can blame Satan in a lot of many ways, but we have to think about ourselves here too. So that passage, is, that particular passage of Scripture, uh, which deals with this, it deals with care, our cares of this world, our the anxieties, and we know once again what does it say in Philippians chapter three? Well, let's read it because I'll stumble if I don't. I think we've looked at this verse quite a bit lately. I say three. It should be chapter four. Sorry. Beginning in six, verse six. Be careful. Here we go. Same word that we're reading over here in Matthew. He said, take no thought. So he says here, be careful for nothing. No anxiety. Be sure because of Christ. But in everything by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made, made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Your hearts and minds are going to be guarded. Shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I can't think of anything more I want in the world, and that's peace. Not just peace, but the peace of God. And this peace passes all understanding, and you don't know that until you see some of it. And I'll say a couple more things about something that Paul would speak concerning this. He says, verse down in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of what, for I have learned in what state I am therewith to be content. This goes along with what we just read over here in Matthew what we do with our mind and the cares of this world and the anxiety. But he had learned something. So this certainly has something to do with our mind. And we need to learn it. And I think it's through experience. And that's how we grow in faith. And whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. So we need to know both aspects of, of life and the things that confront us. We know to be. We know there's going to be times we need to be humble, and there's going to be times we're going to be rejoicing like crazy. We need to both know both of them. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full 
and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So he experienced it all. He's the guy that the Lord has given us as, the, as an example, as well as Christ himself as an example. He's the one, Christ, of course, is the one we read in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you that also was in Christ Jesus. That's the mind, we're, that's the real goal of our study here. Okay, so uh, let's go over to Matthew chapter 8. This is the second word in here, and I don't think we'll get through four. We'll see here. Maybe I'll pick it up a little bit. Matthew chapter 8. And let me say that you'll find some of these, some of these uh, in, in Mark and some of these in Luke. I think in one case, something concerning John. But you'll, you'll see something that is either the exact same event or very close to it. Uh, so chapter 8, beginning in verse... Uh, now let's back up a little bit. 8, 6, I've got written down here. Let me see what I'm doing. Uh, okay, so this is what we read last week. We read about the centurion, and he had... Uh, a was it a friend or a relative? His, uh, my, his servant, verse six. Lord, my servant lieth at the home, at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented, and, and so forth. So this was one of the verses that the Lord speaks of the fact that his faith. He he, he marveled uh, and, and says here in verse ten, I have not found so great faith no in Israel. I'm just throwing that out because now we're moving into the fact that he's going to be dealing with his disciples again. So down in verse, let's start in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. So he's in Galilee. There's a sea of Galilee right by. If you look at a relief map of Galilee, interesting enough, I mean the Sea of Galilee, it's surrounded by, I don't want to call them mountains, but it's surrounded by by hills. And uh, it's that way almost the entire way until you get to the south part of it. And so, and the only reason I mention that is because you need to read every single word and think about every single word when you read the scriptures, which we don't have time. But uh, we'll see that that will come into, into place here in a moment. And it says uh, in verse, uh, we're going to start again here in 18. So he saw great multitudes about him. He gave commandment to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. That was his answer to this man's his, his words. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Oh, that sounds like it could be something pretty harsh, what the Lord's doing with this person. <clears throat> but he's telling him the truth. That this is this is time. This is the time your Messiah has come. He's not telling him that, but this is definitely that time that Messiah has come, and Israel is going to become a channel of blessing to the entire world and nations and so forth. And these people better be in be ready to take it and, and be um, as we we can find some portions of scripture that associates us with. Uh, the fact that they would be soldiers. This is a time of, uh, of uh, t- time that they would be, uh, hopefully during the Acts period, they would believe in him and carry out the things that the Lord had for them. Uh, verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. 
And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea. Insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And the disciples came to him and awoke him, woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? So here is the second of these, the usage of this word in the Greek. And what is the context? The previous one was cares. It was anxiety. This one is fear. Why are ye fearful? Now here's where I started and messed up a while ago. Here's the word. It caught my attention. I looked up this word and it only occurs, occurs five times. But I look at the word fear in the English and it occurs many, many times. And as I said, the word fear is primarily, when you read it, is the word phobeo, which is where we get our word phobia. It's a pho- We think of it a phobia as fear of something. And so here is a different word. I won't even pronounce it. Just call to your attention that it's different. And we'll look at real quickly the different usages of it. Now, in, in this one, uh, it means to, it's, it's to be timid or cowardly. Uh, it's, yeah, it's delios. It's actually a fairly simple word here. Let me turn over to Matthew chapter 4. 35, real quick. Let's see if I've got the, the connection here. That's what I say. Uh, Mark. Mark chapter 4. In there. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. And remember what I said about Mike and the pages. If... Uh, if you felt bad for Mike, remember, Mike's the only one who's ever given me a Bible. And I thank him for that. Okay, Mark chapter 4, and beginning in verse 35, if i got the right place, let's see. And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over. So we're talking about the similar event. And uh, I'm not so sure that I had a reason to reread this side of it, but let's read it anyway. 35 to 41. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was, were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was, not, it was now full, full of water. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and say unto him, Master, carest there not that we perish? Now, I can easily understand them being afraid if I would have been in this situation and my boat, the boat was beginning to sink and then they uh, went directly to him. So they're thinking of themselves. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? So he says similar, similar words to the others, and they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, "What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey them?" So, uh, I'm gonna. Well, let's look at a couple of the verses. Uh, John chapter 14. And I think we started reading there a moment ago, but he's going. This is one other place that he uses this word, and then we've got one more to look at in Timothy. 
John chapter 14 and without reading this whole context verse 27 we might back up a couple of verses uh, he speaks about the time that he's telling he's talking to his disciples now and he's telling them he's going to be going away but he's going to there's going to be he's going to leave a comforter there will be a comforter and that comforter comforter showed up on at the day of Pentecost, and there was great there was a great change in people's lives as the Spirit of the Lord began to um, be part of their lives and uh, and the spiritual gifts and so forth. So he goes through this long thing. In verse 21, he speaks about uh, uh, a woman delivering a child. She remembers no more the anguish and so forth. This is the time that's at hand. It's about to happen. And they're gonna. It's gonna be tough, but they will look back and say, you know, it was nothing really after everything comes to an end of this. But uh, we read here that what did I say? The 27th verse. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Uh, that's not the verse I want. 27. 27. 21. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Well, I got 13 to 20. I should have read from 13 on. But in this, in the midst of this, he uses that word. He tells them not to worry that he's going to leave them. He's getting ready to leave them. He's concerned about them, and he uh, he's going to tell them that they have nothing to fear. And he's going to use this word. And I apologize, I don't have that in front of me. Verse 27. Uh, am I? I'm in John. Okay, I'm, I've got to apologize. No, I'm in John 16. It doesn't work, folks. I'm sorry. John 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave you with, with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he takes this particular word. And I haven't fully grasped the difference between this and the phobia. But he's not talking about being afraid in the sense that we do. And let's go over to verse, let's go over to to, uh, 2 Timothy for a moment. Because Paul uses this same word with Timothy. And maybe this will help us out a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 7. For God hath, never, hath not given us the spirit of fear, this word, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So at this point, I just want to distinguish between what we normally think of fear and this word that he is using here. And we might want to spend a little bit more time on it. But here he uses a word that is associated with some big decisions uh, that we make in our life. And that was certainly the case here as Timothy was, Paul was beginning to pass the baton over to Timothy uh, because Timothy had some issues. We read in the book of Timothy, in this second chapter, our second book of Timothy, that Paul was concerned about in him and what was about to happen in his life. And he was passing this on to him. And he says he's not given us the spirit of fear. So it means more than just the fear itself, being 
a phobic in the sense that we normally think of fear. So anyway, I'm going to stop there. We have uh, a couple more to do. I guess we'll take that up next week. And perhaps we'll have a better idea of this word fear in the meantime. I'll say this. Well, I'll read the other. Let's, let's close with this. Probably a bad verse to close on. Revelation chapter 21. The fifth place we have this word used in Scripture. And this one's going to, t- going to take some explaining to do, to understand, which we won't do at this particular time. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Um, we read this. But the fearful, here's our word, the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now you need to understand what the second death is to fully grasp what's being said here. But this word, after what we've just read, and the Lord spoke to his disciples and used it, Paul speaks to Timothy and uses it, uh, and now he throws this into this pile of, of uh, things that are extremely uh, on the evil side and makes it part of the second death. So there, there's something there that we might uh, glean from, but we're not going to do it this week. I'm going to stop there. I've hit my time limit.